Jonah chapter 1. Today we are going to be looking at verses 4 through 16. I think I have 17 on the slides, but I meant 16. Did I, did I do that? You don't have a slide. Yeah, we're not even going to address 17 today. Saving that for next week. Um, so anyways, Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 16 this morning. Let's pray before we jump into this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can open it up, read it, and know that, Lord, you breathe these words out into holy men. Lord, that these would be your words, that you would not just speak to them, but you would speak to all of your people throughout the generations, Lord, that we might have truth, Lord, that we might have something real and solid and right to guide us and lead us in a world where there just seems to be a lot of lies at times, a lot of misdirection. But Lord, that's not your word. Your word is true. It reveals who you are. It reveals who we are, Lord. And it reveals in many ways your will for us. And so, Lord, as we spend time in Jonah this morning, we ask that you would speak to us through this story, through this narrative. Lord, help us to have a better and clearer picture of who you are. Lord, that it might affect the way in which we follow you, the way in which we understand your love for us and what it means to pick up a cross and follow Jesus. So Lord, please soften our hearts that we would receive your word this morning and that it would bear just a lot of fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do you know that God loves you? And I guess what I'm really looking for there is, is not so much the answer that you're going to give to your Sunday school teacher that you're expecting if you're a parent to get from your kids, but like just a real practical question in the sense of when you wake up Monday morning or you're laying your head on your pillow Wednesday evening and you're evaluating your day and you begin to just think about God at work in your life, how, how do you know that He loves you? What is it that, that brings sort of this confirmation in your soul where you feel good knowing that no matter what happened that day or what's happening in your life, you, you know that God loves you? How, how do you evaluate that? Sometimes we can evaluate it based upon how our day went or how our lives are going, and we can, we can think that, well, if everything goes well, or because everything went well in our life, it sort of gives us the sense that, that God must really care for us, and He must really love us, because He seems to be helping us live sort of a, a good life. That's sometimes the way we evaluate it. Sometimes we think about it in the sense of, well, God is blessing us. He's providing for us all of 
these things. And so it's sort of kind of joked around sometimes, but I think deep down in our hearts, sometimes we really believe it that because we receive this blessing, because God maybe brought this into our lives and it makes us feel good, therefore God must feel really good towards us and he probably loves us. And so we base that love that God has for us really on just on, on how he's blessing us in our life or how our life is going. I'm not going to discredit any of that because I think God does work. Well, I'm not going to discredit all of it. God works in those ways. He does bless us. He calls us to pray and ask him for things. And, and he, he, he gives us certain things at times. But, but really at the end of the day, I think how we know that God loves us really goes back to how we would answer sort of that, that Bible school answer. And sometimes we want to go to the feeling thing, but really it's more of just this objective truth that at times we need to be reminded of and we need to meditate on and we need to just communicate to our own souls probably every single day. And by that objective truth, I just mean the good news about Jesus Christ. See, we know that God loves us because in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so when we think about how do we know that God loves us? The real answer to the question, I'd say the main answer to that question is we know that God loves us because he sent his son and he killed his son to save us. Christ sacrificed his life on a cross, paying the full penalty for our sins, exhausting the wrath of God, meaning there's no more wrath left for those who believe in Jesus because he exhausted it. Not leaving a single drop of it, meaning there's no more judgment for those who believe in Christ because Christ exhausted it on the cross. He died paying the full penalty for our sins and scripture teaches us that's how we know that God loves us. That objective truth, that good news about Jesus Christ becoming our sacrifice for our sins. Delivering us from God's judgment. Well, I share that with you this morning because we find ourselves in the Old Testament. We find ourselves in the book of Jonah. And we're going to catch a glimpse of this good news. And we're going to see God's love, not just for Jonah, but we're going to see God's love for the mariners or the crew on the ship that Jonah is on in this section of scripture. And so we're going to catch a glimpse of this good news as we see Jonah becoming a sacrifice to save the men on that ship. Now we're going to work our way through this section of scripture, through this story by looking at three parts this morning. And in the first part, here's what we see. We see that the Lord creates a great storm. So part one, point one, whatever you want to call it, I'm calling it a part one because it's a story. And if you remember, this is Jonah, I believe, writing this book at the end of his life 
looking back on a season in his life that, that, that wasn't a, a great season for him. It's, it's not a great story about, wow, let me tell you about this moment in my life when I did something really good for God and God's people. This is an old, humble man at the end of his life, I believe, thinking, let me share this story with people so that they might learn something about God's grace as they learn how I came to understand God's grace. So part one, the Lord creates a great storm. And so up to this point, meaning we've read through the first three verses, the Lord had called Jonah to get up, because he was a prophet, get up, leave his good life, leave his comfortable life with God's people and go speak God's word to the Ninevites, the enemy of God's people, that they might repent of their sins, their wickedness, and be saved. God had called Jonah to do that. He said, arise and go. Well, Jonah got up, if you remember, but he didn't go in the direction that God had called him to go. Instead, he went in the opposite direction, seeking to get as far away from the presence of the Lord as possible. And so instead of getting up and going to Nineveh, he got up and he went down to Joppa, where he got into a ship that was heading as far away from where he was supposed to be going. And so what we see in this story is that the Lord let him run. The Lord let him get on that ship. And the Lord let that ship take off on its way to Tarshish. And so Jonah thought he was getting away from the Lord, but now we have verse 4. So look with me at Jonah 1, verse 4, where it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. There's no escaping the very fact that God was in control here. There's no escaping the fact that that Jonah's running, he's trying to get away from the Lord, but in verse 4, we see that God is always in control. One moment, this ship was moving as fast as it possibly could, enjoying fine weather, enjoying fine seas. Most likely, this ship set sail during a good season where ships were sailing back and forth. And so there would have been a season where it's not good to sail, but during this time, it was safe to sail. It was safe to take cargo from Joppa to Tarshish. These were seasoned mariners. They, They knew the seas. And so one moment, this ship is just doing what it always did, enjoying great weather and great seas. And then all of a sudden... God hurled a great wind upon the sea, stirring up the waters with such violence and destruction that it not only stopped this ship from moving forward, Jonah tells us it threatened to destroy the ship and all who were on it. So Jonah was running from the presence of the Lord. But instead of getting away from the Lord, the Lord loved Jonah. The Lord came after him and stopped him from running. See, the storm didn't happen by chance. He uses that word word hurled. So the Lord hurled this great wind. It's, It's the Lord reaching back and just throwing it out there. 
like a massive roadblock or a wall just stopping this ship from doing what it wanted to do. And in a real sense, stopping Jonah from running away from the presence of the Lord. And so this storm didn't happen by chance. Nor do really any storms that we experience in life just sort of happen by chance. And I say that because if God is who he says he is throughout Scripture, then he's always in control and he's always at work in the lives of those who love him. He's the God who created all things. He's the God who sustains all things. He's the God who has power over all things. He's the God who has authority over all things. And Scripture teaches us that all of creation submits to this power and His authority. And we see it happening here in this verse as we see even the wind submits to his power and authority. Even the waves submit to his power and authority. And so when he wants to throw or hurl a great wind upon the sea like he did here in verse 4, it happens. And so this didn't happen by chance. God didn't just allow this storm to happen. He intentionally made this storm happen. Just think about that for a moment. I mean, really right now, what what we're confronted with in this one verse is, do you really believe that God is in control of all things? See, this this, this really matters. It it matters not just in we can answer yes, but ultimately what what it's meant to do is it's, it's meant to put a fear of God in all of us. That's what the Lord's seeking to do here with Jonah is he's seeking to get after his heart. And we'll get there in just a moment. I don't want to necessarily ruin this story, but God's either in control or he's not. What do you believe? Storms either happen by chance or they don't. And I'm going to say they don't. When storms come into our lives, we have to make a decision. Is God at work in this or is he not? Is he at control? Is he in control of all things or is he not? Is, is somehow maybe your world feels like a tornado is ruining everything and you don't know why. We don't always know why, but, but I think what we do know is we do know that God's always at work. He's always intentionally doing things for his glory and for our good. So Colin Smith, who wrote a commentary on Jonah, said the following. He said, either you will embrace the difficult doctrine that God is in control of all things, or you will slide into viewing God as a helpless observer of your plight. Some people worry about the implications of believing that God controls all things. But I would rather live with the problem of a sovereign God than with the problem of a God who is helpless. I just thought that was, was well said. Either you believe God's at work in all things or he's not. Maybe he's, he's a helpless God to you who, who can't intervene in the midst of your great storm or your great hardship or your great conflict or whatever it is you're at work in. And you're either going to see him as in control, able to help, able to work, actually using it for your good. Or are you going to see God as somebody who's standing far off, just sort of allowing this thing to happen and maybe biting his fingernails, not knowing what he can or cannot do in the midst of this situation? 
And what Colin is saying, I'd rather have a God who's in control of all things than a helpless God that actually can't help me in the moment I need help. And what Jonah's trying to teach us here throughout this story is we have a God who's at work in all things, who's in control of all things, and who's doing something in this great storm. Now, I want us to be careful here, though, when we think about storms, because in this context, this storm is taking place because Jonah's really being disciplined by the Lord. He's trying to run away from the Lord. And so storms seem to rise up in our lives at times because it's true that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. But I would also say that storms happen, and we see this in Scripture, or hardships take place or difficult trials come into our lives when we're also being faithful. Because the Lord hasn't promised us to live a sort of comfortable life as we pick up a cross, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus. There's just going to be suffering. There's just going to be trials, and we're going to face these hardships. But in this case, in Jonah's life, this storm is present because of Jonah. Because he's being unfaithful. Because he's a runaway prophet seeking to get as far away from God as possible so that he wouldn't have to do what God was calling him to do because he knew that if he did that, then God would do what God usually does and he'd save people. And he doesn't want God to save these Ninevites. And so he runs. And so this storm happens because God's at work getting after Jonah's heart because of Jonah's disobedience. But I just want us to be careful. Not every storm is a result of some sort of specific sin in your life. The disciples were picking up a cross. They were following Jesus. He said, get into a boat. And they got in the boat with him. They were obeying Jesus. And what happened on that lake? Massive storm breaks out. And then Jesus teaches them a lesson. Let's trust in Christ. And so they experienced a storm on a, on a lake because of their obedience. So I just want us to be clear. Not every storm in our life, not every trial in our life is a result of some sort of sin in our life. God's at work in both, but in this situation, there is. And the reality is we all experience storms. And what we need to know here from Jonah is that God's at work in it. He's always at work in the midst of storms, in the midst of trials. And he's not just at work in Jonah's life here. He's also at work in the mariner's life, the men who are on this ship, guiding this ship. God's at work for their good as well. Because what we see in the next verse is this storm must have been a massive one. Because these mariners were scared to death. Verse 5 says, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So when you're trying to think about the size of this storm, just think about this crew. This was a seasoned crew. They've they've sailed this route many times. They've experienced many storms. They know what to do when the seas get rough. And what Jonah tells us here is that these men were afraid. And each one began to cry out to their own God. And so these men weren't believers. They believed in every God. They believed basically in any God that could get them what they wanted when they wanted it. That's kind of what he's pointing at there is is they just all began to cry out to whatever their hope was of saving their lives. 
And not only that, they they knew what to do. And so what we see them doing here in the midst of this is they began to work really hard to save the ship and to save their own lives. And so whatever they were carrying, they just began to throw it overboard. Get as much weight off of the boat as possible and just throw it out into the sea so that when these massive waves came, the boat would be sitting as high as possible on the water so that it wouldn't be overrun with water and that it wouldn't sink. So these men knew what to do. And it's real interesting here because we see this, and I think this is true of all of us because God has created us ultimately to worship Him. And so at really in the heart of everybody who's ever been created by God, there, there is this innate desire for us to worship. And we know that this innate desire is meant for us to worship the one and only true God, but these men were so desperate that they started crying out to really any God that they could possibly find. And it's interesting because we see this, don't we? We see this all the time. We see it when people get into trouble, whenever people find themselves in situations where maybe they've exhausted all human effort, all of their own abilities to relieve themselves from any problem that they might have. They begin to then look outside of themselves for help. See it in social media when something bad happens to somebody and somebody shares that bad thing and they begin to ask for help. They begin to ask for prayers and sometimes it Probably like all of you, like to read the comments sometimes. Just to see what other people think about situations. They can be fun, they can be entertaining, they can be enlightening. But as you do this, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but there's all sorts of different comments. There's people who say, praying. And we know that they're not believers. You just wonder, well, who are you praying to in that moment? And then you also see people sending good vibes. You know what I'm talking about? And people ask for these good vibes. And I, I'm, not, I'm not mocking it. I think it's sincere. And I think there's, there's, there's a bit of God's grace in those things. Because anytime a trial hits and life becomes hard, it, it's really not fun walking through those things alone. You know what I mean? Especially when you get to that point where you can't help yourself anymore. You kind of look around and just say, who can help me? And so you see it out there, where just you pray, and you pray, and, and you help me, and maybe you send a good vibe, or just show up and do something. There's just a, a desperateness we feel, but what's revealed in that, and what's being revealed in these mariners, is that, is that they, they're beginning to see something, is that they can't save themselves. And the reality, we all get to this point in our lives where we find ourselves in the midst of a situation where, where at some point we just say, I don't have what it takes anymore. I can't keep throwing any more cargo overboard because I don't have anything left. So pray. You look outside of yourself for help. I had a few neighbors several years back. They were friends of ours. We'd see them a lot. They weren't believers, but they liked to hang out. They liked to hang out with our kids. They had kids the same age, and we'd do stuff together. They wanted nothing to do with God and His ways. But guess what happened when all of a sudden trouble hit their marriage? They began to reach out. 
And this is what, it's, it's weird being a pastor. This is a typical experience. Typically, when people find themselves in desperate situations like that, they'll reach out to me, and they probably reach out to you in some context because they know you're a, a, a faithful Christian or they know you go to church. And so they, for some reason, think that because I'm a pastor, the Lord's going to hear my prayers instead of their prayers in that way of just for help. You understand what I mean? That's kind of what's going on here is these, these guys are in the midst of a storm and, and we see the mariners looking for help, grasping for anything that will save them. They're all praying to their own God except for the one and only true God because they don't know him yet. They're helpless and they know it. And what's very interesting is all of this is going on. You know where Jonah is? He's in the bottom of this ship sleeping. In the bottom of this ship sleeping, as this boat is being unloaded and it's about to be broken up and everybody's about to die, instead of a runaway prophet, now we have a sleeping prophet. Listen to what he said. He said this, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now I'm going to assume that the captain was a bit amazed. Kind of like I'm assuming you're amazed. Like all of this is going on and Jonah's, he's really sleeping. We don't really know why he's sleeping. I'm going to imagine he's probably exhausted because it, it says earlier that that. When he got onto the ship, he went down and fell asleep. So he was sleeping before the storm took place. This was a man who was exhausted. And I feel like that probably has to do with his running away from the Lord. I don't know if any of you have ever really wrestled with God on something. Maybe feeling his conviction to repent of something or his call upon your life to trust him and go do something and you don't really want to do it and so you wrestle with it but it's like haunts you it feels like it haunts you you don't have to raise your hand i'm going to assume that you kind of have an idea of what that feels like where the lord just he wants you to do this and you don't want to do it it's exhausting it's exhausting until the lord actually gives us relief from it so i'm going to assume also that jonah's feeling a bit of that He's spiritually exhausted. He's physically exhausted because he's just been running from the Lord. And so he's asleep. And then this captain comes and I imagine he's just a bit amazed. Like, what in the world are you doing? You sleeper. Or you're really sleeping? When all of this is going on, can, can you just get up, please? Everybody else is calling out to their own God. Can you get up and you call out to your God and maybe help and participate in just saving the lives of everybody present? Why are you asleep? Now, the last thing that Jonah wanted to do is call out to his God. Remember, he's he's running away from the Lord. He's running away from the presence of the Lord. He wasn't trying to be a faithful prophet. He was trying to get away from doing what the Lord had called him to do, which if you look at this section of Scripture, 
we don't have any record of Jonah actually getting up and immediately begin to cry out to the Lord. Instead, what we have is just silence. Jonah's not ready yet. Jonah's not ready to bend his knee to what the Lord has called him to do. And so this leads us to the second part, verses 7 through 10. The Lord exposes Jonah and reveals himself to the mariners. The Lord exposes Jonah and reveals himself to the mariners. So since Jonah didn't speak about God or cry out to God, it left the mariners in this place of desperation. Trying to figure out why is this happening Who's responsible for this storm? And what God can we reach out to to just calm this thing? So verse 7, they they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and lo and behold, it all falls on Jonah. Now casting lots was sort of this pagan practice where They had these stones or something like that and it'd be dark on one side and light on the other side and they'd throw them out. And if you wanted the positive answer, I'm assuming it was going to be white and you wanted the negative answer, it was going to be dark. And so whatever it is they threw out there, all of them said, it's Jonah. Very similar to us kind of maybe flipping a coin once in a while. If you ever played basketball and people are in a dispute about whose ball is it, what do you typically do? You guys who don't play basketball, you don't know. You just shoot for it. And it's kind of like, when, at least when I played, we'd say, well, if, if you felt you were right and you made it, some guys would shout out, Lord knows, you still do that? You probably don't. You're too godly to do that. Anyways, it's like that. It's just, it's just this way uh, where they would say, okay, let, let's figure out what the gods want at this moment. Who's responsible for this? And so they cast lots, and it's Jonah's fault. He's got to speak. He's got to show up. So once he was exposed, verse 8 says, Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? That's a lot of questions. There's no cutting through the chase here. It's just, we need to know everything about you. Why is this happening? We're all going to die. Like, where are you from? Who's your God? What's your occupation? Tell us. They're just trying to save their own lives. And at this point, Jonah was forced to talk and give them the answers that they were looking for. Verse 9, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Very interesting, isn't it? Jonah fears the Lord. Not enough to go to Nineveh. But enough to know that this storm is not by chance. He feared the Lord enough to know that that even though he's going to run away from the Lord, in the back of his mind, he's just hoping, Lord, just let me go. But I'm assuming in the back of his head, he just also knows the Lord's not going to let him go. So he just tells him, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. And then he says, the God of heaven. They know a bunch of gods, a bunch of false gods, but he's like, no, the Lord, Yahweh. The maker of heaven and earth. The one who makes the seas obey him, including the dry land. And at this moment, it all started to begin to make sense for the mariners as they were exposed to this truth. The unexpected violent storm 
was the result of a sovereign God of heaven getting Jonah's attention and the mariners as well. Verse 10 tells us, then these men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So these men were terrified at the truth about the Lord that Jonah had just told them. This fear of the Lord was greater than the fear that they just had about the storm. For they knew now that the Lord was greater than the storm. Do you begin to see what's taking place here? They were exceedingly fearful of the storm. They wanted to save their lives. Jonah introduces them to the Lord of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who's sovereign and at work over all things, the one who hurled this wind and caused this great storm. God was opening up their minds and hearts to understand. You might fear this storm, but the one behind the storm is the one whom we should really fear. So they were beginning to see it. As Jonah apparently made this full confession, letting them know that he was on the run, seeking to get away from the presence of the Lord as they asked them this question, what is it that you've done? This is kind of what they're saying here, and this is how I think they would say it today, maybe, because of their fear of the Lord that's growing. It's not just, tell us what you've done. It's more of this, why would you do this, Jonah? Why, why would you try to run from the presence of the Lord? Why would you try to run from the one who's created all things? It, it doesn't make sense to them as he introduced them to this God, our God. To them, it, it doesn't make sense. Why would this prophet try to run away from this God who's sovereign, who's at work in all things? What makes you think you can actually get away from him, Jonah? See, Jonah had been exposed by the Lord, and his running away from the Lord was over. See, the Lord loves his people. He doesn't let us run too far. You might think you can get away from him, but you can't. He loves us. His mercy and grace, it pursues us, and we see this right here in Jonah's life. Let him get on that ship. He let him get a little bit away. And then all of a sudden, here, take this storm. Take this trial. You still don't want to talk? Well, take these unbelieving mariners and they're going to cast lots. And I'm going to expose you because God's not going to let him run. And he won't let us run either. And this leads us to the third and final point of the story where we see that the Lord saves the mariners. After Jonah explained to them that they needed what they needed to know about him, they asked him this question, verse 11. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. To which Jonah said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. What's interesting here is once the silent prophet who was running away from the Lord, he's now the one who is willing to lay down his life for these men. I don't really know the motivation behind his heart at this moment in the story, but the Lord's obviously been speaking to him. He's a prophet. And they say, what do we got to do to be saved? And he say, pick me up. 
Throw me into the sea. It's my fault. Sacrifice me and you will be saved. Pretty simple, right? What would you do in that moment? Would you pick him up immediately and just throw him into the sea? To save your life, the ship, anything else that remained? Honestly, what would you do? Some of you probably would pick him up right away. I mean, it's like it's probably what we'd all do because it's what's going to save you. Well, that's not exactly what they did. They didn't immediately pick him up. They didn't immediately throw him into the sea. Verse 13 tells us, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. See, it's real interesting here. They had the answer to the question that they've been looking for. Throw this man into the sea and you will be saved. Make him your sacrifice and you will be saved. Instead, what do they do? Row harder. Work harder. If you just grab those rows and you pull on them again and again and again, you might make it to dry land. That's what they did. It sounds foolish, doesn't it? Doesn't it? But, but there's a truth behind this. We, we all want to row harder. We just spent time in Galatians where we've just learned that you can't save yourself. A man or a woman, a person is justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And not by works of the law. Meaning you can't row hard enough to save yourself. But the temptation we all face is we want to save ourselves. We want to think that there's got to be something good in us. There's got to be a strength we have that that can get us to the other side where where God might accept us. And so that's kind of what these mariners are doing. They're, They're still trying to save themselves. They know the truth, they know the answer, and they're ignoring it. But it doesn't work. Because we have a God that loves us too much to believe lies. We have a God that loves his people so much. He he won't let us go far enough in the wrong direction before he stops us. Because he's absolutely committed to his own ways. And he's absolutely committed to see his people live the lives he's called them to do. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So finally they relent. Verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased. And so what you have here is you sort of begin to see their heart. They didn't want to kill Jonah. They didn't want to accept that sacrifice. They didn't want to be able to throw him over the board and just let him die so that they might live. And so they were actually trying to save his life and not be responsible for his death. But the Lord wouldn't let them. That was their way, but it wasn't the Lord's way. And so they cried out to the Lord and they just said, may this not be on us. And so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. 
and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These men were saved by the Lord through the sacrifice of Jonah. Colin Smith says this, he says, All of this shines a light on how the death of Christ is a demonstration of God's love for us. We crucified the Son of God. That's our guilt in the sacrifice. Yet he chose to lay down his life for us. That is our salvation through the sacrifice. Now there's a huge difference between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah was responsible for his own sin. Jesus never sinned. Perfect in every way. His sacrifice was for our sins as he bore the weight and the penalty of our sins, not his sins. But God accepted it on our behalf that whoever believes in Jesus is saved, forgiven of all their sins. See, the point here is no one can save themselves from God's judgment. Can't. You can't row hard enough to get yourself to heaven. You can't work hard enough to be a good enough person. You can't work off any sin. One sin is responsible or makes you responsible for God's judgment. The only way we escape this is by accepting the sacrifice that God put forth for us through his son, Jesus Christ. The question is, will we accept it? Will we walk by faith, fear the Lord, and trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ? In closing, I want to ask three questions. I'm not going to answer these questions. I just want to ask three questions and just leave them with you to think about. First one is this. Are you running from the Lord? And do you really think you'll be able to disobey Him and get away with it? In light of what we just read, are you running away from And that can just look like you're ignoring a call upon your life that you know He has. And you don't like it. Or maybe it's just a a secret sin. A sin that that is present in your life and you've never confessed it to anybody. And you're just hiding it. Because you're embarrassed of it. And you don't don't want anybody to know about it. And so you're just trying to hide and and just feel good each day. And the question is, do you really think you're going to get away with it? Jonah didn't. Number two, are you trusting in yourself or something other than Jesus to save you? And do you really think that this thing will actually get what you want? Only Jesus saves. And number three, knowing that God is the creator of all things, having the power and authority over all things. How does this build your faith? To pick up a cross, trust Jesus Christ, and follow him. See, that's the good news here. I know this is kind of like a, like a trouble sort of story. But behind it all of is, a, is a powerful God, our God, who's at work in all things. Who strengthens us for each journey. Gives us the grace to walk through the things he calls us to walk through. So the question is, if this is true about him, how does this build your faith? To do the things he's called you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bless your church. You would bless your body, Jesus. You would fill us with your spirit and guide us and lead us in the truth this week. That you would give us the faith to follow you, even through difficult things. Lord, even through 
embarrassing things or seemingly embarrassing things. We would just trust you for it, that your grace and your power would be at work. And so, Lord, would you protect us as we leave here today? And would you bless the youth as they gather together to worship you, to grow together, to fellowship? And would you save those who aren't saved? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here as you leave. May the Lord bless you. May he pour out his spirit upon you.